You know, I really believe that the Lord has a word for us tonight. Uh, there were things that I knew going into Romans 6 that God had really already taught me, but I know every time we revisit things in His Word, He teaches us in a fresh way. And, and some of that we're going to get into next week. But the passage we're going to look at tonight is not something I had ever really meditated on or thought about before. And I'll tell you, the last couple of weeks I have chewed on this thing and chewed on it. And it really is just breaking open some some newness in me, and I'm so excited about it. His word is so rich, and, and I want you to know, as I'm waiting on him every week and saying, Lord, you know, what do you want to say to us, you know, as this passage is continuing? I know, I want you to know that I know that this is a very repetitive passage, <laughs> you know, and, and sometimes you think, well, yeah, we, we said that, right? You know, we've already said that, we've said that, but, you know, most of us don't receive transformation overnight, right? We don't, and, you know, it happens over time. As God lovingly speaks to us again and again, training us, talking to us about it, showing us his ways. And I just have to know, when he wrote Romans 6, because he wrote it, he knew he was repeating himself. <laughs> and there's a reason for that. And, and frankly, I'm very glad he did, because for this girl, it takes me a long time to get things sometimes, you know. And so I'm thankful that he, he is repeating himself because it gives us a fresh way to look at some things. And I believe if we'll open up our minds and not go, oh, I already know that. He will teach us some new things if we'll listen to him. As I began memorizing this passage, verses 10 and 11, a theme really jumped out to me, and that would be the theme of self-esteem. You know, in the last 20 to 30 years, Self-esteem has become a huge term in our culture. I mean, who could count the number of books that have been written about self-esteem, the number of seminars taught about it, the number of counseling sessions scheduled because of it, the number of conversations had about it, the number of tears cried over the lack of it, you know? And according to the experts in our world, lack of self-esteem is a huge problem huge problem, not just for the younger generation, but just across the board, not even just for women, for men too. I mean, they say it's a huge problem. However, ladies, we've got to remember that society's identification of ills and woes and their prescriptions to heal them are not always at the center of God's heart and thinking. And as I was thinking about how to begin all of this tonight, I decided, well, I'm going to do a Google search and I'm just going to type in self-esteem. And I'll tell you, I found more than I wanted to find. But one thing I realized was there were some other things that could go with the list that I had already written. I mean, who could count the number of websites created about self-esteem? And who could count the number of YouTube videos out there, you know, about self-esteem? But one website really caught my eye, and this is what it said on the Google part. It said, take the ultimate self-esteem test and start improving in minutes. So I thought, well, goodness, I need to take this test. So I went on and I started to take their test. And it was five pages of questions dealing with everything from exercise to consumption of alcohol, drugs, food, caffeinated beverages, how much you worry, how much you don't, how you manage your money, how you dress, how you feel about your appearance, your relationships, your shopping, your conflict resolution stuff, I mean, all kinds of things. But an interesting pattern to me in this test was that they would ask this question about a topic, and the next question was always, how do you feel about that? And there seemed to be this huge focus on independent opinions and your feelings. So in about 10 minutes, test was all taken, and here were my results. So we can do a drum roll, you know. You can find out about my self-esteem. And here's what it said. came up on the screen in writing, in my face. It said, according to our scientific analysis, in 10 minutes now, 
you are only tapping into 76% of your self-esteem potential. So you know what? I decided I needed to press the continue button and buy some of their products to help me, you know, gain some self-esteem. Not really. I didn't. <laughs> Not at all. But you know what? It sounds so convincing. You get in there and you start reading this stuff. In fact, you know, you think, well, if I don't have enough self-esteem, then obviously I'm not thinking about myself enough. And I'm not taking care of myself enough. And I'm not considering how I feel about things enough. In fact, I found they had all these comments on, on the website. And, and I looked through them, and there were you know, literally hundreds that I could have written down. But I picked a few I want to read to you. A girl named Nan wrote, I was quite shocked to find such good self-esteem help. Knock on wood, she wrote. Now with your help, I can start being that person I dream about, not a hopeless moaning nobody. Another girl named Chrissy wrote, I'm not very happy with myself, and I never thought I ever will be happy with myself. But this website gave me a peek to the future, and it said I can be. Another girl, I'm so desperate to help myself, and I'm finally willing to admit I need help. I am very glad that I found this website, and I'm excited about getting started. Tracy wrote that. And this last one from Amy, I need to find myself before it's too late. Now, I don't mean to mock, you know, well-meaning people. And I know probably a lot of people who create these websites, they really care, you know, and they really want women to live well and be productive and healthy and successful. And I want you to know as we start tonight, I am all for women living up to their full God-given potential. But here is the question. Who has the authority to define our potential? And who has the authority to define what success and what productivity looks like? And who has the real knowledge to let us know how we're supposed to think about ourselves? Only God, right? But even then, we've got to be really careful because you know what? It's easy to put a religious spin on all this self-focused pop psychology stuff And make it all sound very convincing and really good for the Christian woman. And a lot of people have done that as well. But truth tells us something very, very different. Truth that's been written and passed down from our everlasting God who is our creator. And he created us and he knows us and he created us with purposes and plans. His word is very clear in Romans 6 and all over his word. We will find our life and value not as we focus more on ourselves, but actually as we lose ourselves in him. Romans 6, 10 and 11 says, For the death that he died, he died once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, if we look at both of these verses, verse 10 is really a summation of everything we've been memorizing and studying all the way through verse 9. It says, for the death that he died, he died once for all. The life that he lives, he lives to God. It's it's really just summing it all up, what we've been talking about in all these verses. And how Jesus died, he covered sin for us, for good. He lives for God, we should join him. But I really want to point out to you, between these two verses... I find a big break in this passage because verses 1 through 10 really are all about uh, a combination of the doctrine of, of Christ, who he is, what he's done for us, and then an invitation for us to join him, really an expectation that we would if we are believers. But then the next 10 verses, verses 11 through 20, really to me are a section that tells us how to do that. You know, and I'm really excited about that 
because for the last four weeks, I believe the Lord's been stirring up our hearts, you know, and showing us all that Christ has done, reminding us of it, inviting us to join him in all of these ways. But if you're anything like me, sometimes it's like, well, God, I really want to, but I don't really know how to do that, you know? And so he's talked to us about this and stirred up our hearts. And now we're going to get into the part that's going to get really, really practical. How do you actually do that? In fact, verse 11 begins with even so, meaning Indeed, because he's done all of this on our behalf, okay? He, he did all this. Even so, we're instructed to follow him for how we are to view ourselves. okay? Now, we talked about last week a lot that our, what our soul is. We, we mentioned that. We talked about it even a little bit earlier tonight in our time together. What is our soul? Our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions, right? How many of you know that for the most part, sin begins where? In the mind, It begins in the mind. In fact, James even talks about that. And this verse, verse 11, really is going to zero in tonight on what we are to do with our minds, what we're supposed to do with them. In fact, I really look at verse 11 as a pathway for our self-image. We're to consider ourselves in Christ, okay? And tonight what we're going to do, verse 10 is really a summation of what we've already been looking at, okay? So we're going to zero in on verse 11 tonight, and we're going to allow it to reveal to us what I believe is God's prescription for a healthy self-image and one that's going to lead us into this victorious life as a Christian that he really wants us to live. And I want, us to, I want to pray over us that we really get this understanding tonight. God, I thank you for these ladies that are here tonight. I thank you for... All of us who will be doing this study um, in the years to come, God, we, d- we just thank you for every person that can put their mind and their heart into Romans 6 and what you have to say. And Lord, I really believe that verse 11 is so key to beginning how we are to do this, how we really are to lose ourselves in you and what we're to do with our minds. And God, I pray for every person that participates in this Bible study, Father, that you will help us to really grab a hold of these truths and really make them a part of who we are. And we thank you for the opportunity to be in your word. Lord, help us to have open hearts and minds to it tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so even so, consider yourselves. That's how verse 11 starts. You know, when I hear the words consider yourselves, I always think of the musical Oliver. Because there's a song in that, that that says, consider yourselves at home, you know, consider yourself part of the family, consider yourself well in. If you've ever seen that musical or the movie of it, you probably are familiar with that song. But it was sung by a bunch of street kids, and they were basically welcoming Oliver into their home, you know, on the street, as far as I understand it. But, you know, you think about this, how much more have we been welcomed home by the king of the universe? And he's telling us, okay, now that you're with me, This is how I want you to consider yourselves. I want you to consider yourself as a part of me. See, knowing everything that Christ has done on our behalf, understanding what his nature is and what that means for us, how are we now to think about ourselves? My husband has always said, if someone comes into the presence of Jesus Christ, they have to be changed. You know, Jesus, you you can't come into his presence and not be changed in some way. Well, we've spent the last four weeks really looking at who he is. It's got to change something, ladies. And, And really, it needs to begin in the mind. And he says, consider. Now, this word consider, we really want to grab a hold of what this word means. It's a strong, strong word. It's spelled in the Greek, L O G I Z O M A I. 
L-O-G-I-Z-O-M-A-I. And it means to count up or weigh out all the reasons. Now we actually get our word logic, okay, from this word. Okay, that's the root of it. It means to count up or weigh out all the reasons. And you know what? We've been doing that, haven't we? We've been weighing out all the reasons why Christ's death is really important to us, okay? Now, this word also means to determine or to decide. So in other words, you count up, you weigh it all out, and then you make a decision. That's what this word means, and it's a very strong word. There's something else that we really need to look at about this word, though, too. When it was written in the Greek, the tense that was used suggests that it has to be done on a continual basis. So it's not like you walk down the aisle and say, Oh, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior, and it's a one-time decision. Like you've decided, I, I, I want to I be a Christian. I mean, that's awesome, but it's something that's got to happen all the time. You're continually weighing out all the reasons why this is the best decision to make, making a determination, but you keep doing it. Okay, and so as we're looking at consider, keep that definition as a backdrop in your mind. So, as we think of ourselves, we continually determine or decide that we are, what does it say in verse 11? Dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. And I I believe the Lord's going to break open these phrases to us tonight and show us how to do this. So, first of all, let's think about how we are to consider ourselves dead to sin. Now, that's not really any news to us. We keep hearing that over and over. This is one of those repetitive things. You know, you need to be dead to sin, dead to sin. It's been all through Romans 6. You know, bury yourselves with Christ. But just because we know that, in other words, we've heard it, doesn't mean we actually really know it, right? I mean, a lot of times we think we know something just like you might say to, you know, a child, you know, I want you to, oh, I know, I know, Mom. You know, and what are they wanting you to do by saying, I know, leave me alone. I already got that. But they really don't. I mean, you'll come home and the laundry's still all over the floor. You know, they didn't know at all. And a lot of times we can approach God's word that way. You know, I heard that since I was in Sunday school when I was little. You know, and you just gloss right over it. You don't really think about it. Well, tonight we are going to break this term open, dead to sin. And what does that really mean? And I'm praying he's going to give us some fresh insight. Think about this. If something is dead, it doesn't respond at all. A dead person doesn't have any vital signs. They don't hear, their heart's not beating, no pulse, they don't have any feeling, doesn't matter how much you shake them, doesn't matter how much you beg them, if somebody is dead, they do not respond. Rick Renner is a popular Bible teacher and missionary over in Russia, and he's written a book called Sparkling Gems. I don't know if you've ever heard of it before, but it's a collection of devotionals that really one for each day of the year. And what he does is he picks out a Greek word from a verse and he breaks that word open and inspires godly living through it. I mean, it's really an awesome, awesome book. But I looked at it when, because I'll refer to it often, and I looked at it when we first started the study because I thought, I want to see if he mentions, you know, if he zeroes in on any of the verses from Romans 6. And he has a couple of them about it. Well, one of them that he does is verse, um, verse 11 from Romans 6. So I took the time to read it and just see, well, what does he have to say about this? He talks about the word consider quite a bit. But he also told a story in there that I really think would help us to get, get some understanding and maybe get an image here. As he was going on and writing about it, he told this story about being at a funeral when he was early in ministry. I mean, he was still a pretty young guy. And this family had lost a young son to a tragic accident. And, you know, for any of us, that would be horrible. You know, I pray. I never have to walk through anything like that. I mean, it would be totally traumatic for anyone to lose a child. But how much more traumatic for the family that doesn't know the Lord? Because there's no hope. 
because the only one stronger than death is Jesus himself. So you can imagine what it would be like to have a child die. How traumatic is that? And then you don't know Christ. I mean, just totally traumatizing. Well, he goes on to share that, you know, they did the funeral, and as the funeral came to a close, and it was time to, you know, wheel the casket out, the mother just jumped out of her chair, and she ran up to the casket, and she started begging her son to just wake up, to please talk to her. And I mean, just picture this in your mind. Of course, he didn't, because he's dead. But she didn't stop. She begged some more. She begged some more. She kept shaking him. And finally, she climbed into the casket and was shaking her son to please, please talk to her. But he didn't because he was dead. Finally, they had to pull her out of the casket, close the casket, wheel it out, get her in the limousine to go to the burial site. Now, as sad as that story is, let that thing burn in your mind because that is how it should be with us. Doesn't matter how much sin shakes us. Doesn't matter how much sin begs us. Doesn't matter how much sin wants to climb into our lives. When we count it all up, when we weigh it all out, we are to determine we don't respond at all to sin. That's what the word of God is saying right here. Sin is no longer master over Christ in any way and we are in him. He wants us to consider ourselves at home with him. He doesn't respond to him, to sin. And as we join in his death, it doesn't have to master us in any way either. It doesn't have the power to kill the spirit within us. It doesn't have the power to damn our bodies to hell. And it doesn't have the power either on this earth to cause a misery in our life, in our souls, in our minds, our will, and our emotion. If we will consider ourselves dead to sin, completely unresponsive. And what does sin, what is the definition of sin? Missing God's mark, wandering away from God's law. We should be completely unresponsive to that. So let's think about this idea of being unresponsive. Someone is dead, they don't hear, okay? Now, most people that are alive can hear. Of course, we, we have deaf people, you know. We have children that act like they're deaf sometimes, you know. <laughs> you know, they can hear, but they don't respond either. But generally, you get the idea. You know, if people can hear, they will respond if they are alive. How many of you know that sin calls us? Has a voice, doesn't it? <laughs> Tries to get your attention. Sometimes in very bold ways, sin will call our name. Sometimes in very subtle, whispering ways that maybe nobody else around you knows, but you're very aware of. But sin has a voice, and it will call you, and it will call you often sometimes. You can be sure. It will call you to spend more money than you've got, to exalt yourselves above other people, to indulge in things that aren't God's plan, to care more about what people think than what God thinks. Look at this immorality. Speak this gossip. Wallow in this self-pity. Tell this little white lie. I mean, be lazy. You deserve it. You worked really, really hard. Be haughty. You have your rights. All of these things. I mean, we could go on and on and on about the ways that sin will call us. The question is more, are we responding <laughs> when sin is calling us? See, the reality is we're alive on this earth. We're some, in, in some ways, we're caught in the middle here. You know, We've got the spirit of Christ within us. But we're not completely in his presence face to face yet like we will be in heaven one day. So we're caught in the middle. So we're still alive. So we can still hear it. We're just supposed to consider ourselves dead to it. And that's challenging. But Jesus did it. And now he is alive within us. Probably for the rest of your life, you're going to hear a sin calling. What are you going to do with the call? Are you going to consider yourself dead to sin? I hear sin call every day. 
I do. And probably you do too. One area where I hear sin call often is in my thought life, okay? I easily struggle with anxious thoughts. I can be anxious because somebody hurt my feeling. You know, you, you, sometimes can't you just even feel your, your, your anxiousness just like bubbling all up within you? I know I can. Sometimes I'm anxious because I'm just like stressed about how are we going to take care of this situation or, or that situation, you know, that seems to arise out of nowhere. Or I can get really anxious because I get overwhelmed. You know, I'm too busy. I got way too much to do. I live in this world. You live in this world. We're going to hear the call of sin. But God says, consider yourself dead to sin. Consider yourself dead to missing my mark, dead to wandering away from how I've called you to live. Well, how do you do that? How do you do that? Let me first tell you what it looks like when I don't do that, okay? When I really am considering myself alive to sin, which, which can happen quite a bit, let's just be honest. I can respond to this call of anxious thoughts. I'll get it all in a tither, and what usually happens when that happens is that I get very snippy with my family, Okay? Or sometimes even other people, you know, hopefully you're not around if that happens. Or I can, um, I can start a downward spiral of feeling really sorry for myself, you know. Or I can dwell on a, an issue that needs to be resolved and then I take on this sense of urgency. Like I've got to do something to fix this situation right this minute. Somebody's going to, you know, we're going to take care of this thing. But see, if I consider myself dead to sin, completely different. I know that anxious thoughts are not God's mark for me. He taught me that a long time ago. I mean, there's all kinds of scriptures, but Philippians 4, you know, don't be anxious about anything. So I can't even fit anything in there and say, but God, what about this one? About anything. They're not God's mark for me. So if I am really considering myself alive to God in Christ, then I don't respond to what these thoughts are calling me to do. Instead, I respond to him. And we're going to talk more about that in a moment. But let me show you what that response might look like. I might take my thoughts captive to what he says, to the obedience of Christ. I consider myself alive to some other things that he says, like maybe somebody hurt my feelings. Well, love covers a multitude of sins. I would rather be alive to that. Think on what's pure and lovely. Forgive as I've forgiven you. Or I might remember some principles the Lord taught me of how I find my value in him. How hurting people hurt people. How he is my provision in all things. In other words... As I think of myself, and remember, this word consider has a continual tense to it. I continually consider to weigh out who I am in light of who he is, to continually remember Christ has a plan of death to sin, and then I need to determine and make a decision. I'm dead to that too. I'm not responding. You can call my name all you want, but I'm not going to respond. That's the key word, being unresponsive, because a dead person doesn't respond. In my mind, to view myself as dead to anything that God has set a mark for me against. You know, we talked about sin meaning missing God's mark. So if God has marked out something different, and this past week in our lessons, I asked you to, you know, write out what are some of the things that you know for sure that God has marked out for you, you know? And then some of the ones that personally that you know, you know, ones that are are true for all of us. I heard somebody say recently, you know, excel at the revealed. What do I mean by that? Sometimes we're so interested in finding God's will. Goodness, ladies, he's revealed a ton of it right here. If you don't know what maybe his will for you personally is in this situation, just excel at the revealed, okay? You know, be excellent at that. The other will come. He'll, He'll show you those things. But 
we consider ourselves unresponsive to missing his mark. Let me tell you an example of how this happened the other day as I've been chewing on this. I had been out on a walk, came back in, and uh, I don't even remember exactly what happened, but it was enough to get my anxious thoughts calling, you know, calling my name. Well, and I responded, but I was getting ready to do some other exercise, and so I'm actually on the floor doing these push-ups, and in my mind, I am just like, you know, just very upset, and all of a sudden, I heard the Holy Spirit go, consider yourself dead. Are you dead, Sharon? I thought, no, I'm very alive, and I was, but then I realized I don't have to respond. I don't have to. That was so freeing to me. It's like I had a choice. Because normally what would happen is I would go through all of this rigmarole in my mind of all these anxious thoughts, and then I'd think, oh, you need to take your thoughts captive. You know? And then I'd do that, which is a great thing to do. But to me, this is almost the next step. Going beyond just taking your thoughts captive, you don't even have to take them captive because you don't ever respond, so they're not even there. <laughs> you know? That you, just, you train yourself, I don't respond to that at all. And I'm telling you, it has made such a difference for me in the last week and a half. It's some different things that since been calling and, and literally the Holy Spirit don't respond. Oh, I don't have to, do I? I really don't. What? And, and I've even thought through, what would, do I need to respond? No, I really don't. Is, is the world going to fall apart if I don't respond? No, no. It, it would be just fine. In fact, it would be great. In fact, I'll be hitting God's mark if I don't respond. <laughs> it would be a really, really good thing. Now, let's think about this. If someone is dead, they don't have a heartbeat. They don't have any pulse. When someone's alive, they do. I mean, their heart is beating, but a dead person doesn't have a pulse. So if we're thinking about considering ourselves dead to sin, we need to ask ourselves, do I have a pulse for sin? (laughs) Do I have a heartbeat for sin? How do you check somebody's pulse? Well, you measure it, right? You look for a place on their body that will reveal, you know, a pulse. And you pay close attention to it. You know, you put your hand on it in all these different places and you count it up. Well, we need to look at our lives and we need to search for places where sin could be revealed and see if there is a heart for sin, if there's activity going on. You know, true self-esteem comes from living a righteous life. That's true self-esteem. Not manufactured self-esteem, but true self-esteem from the Lord, living God's way. And so often our heart is beating for sin. And we're far away from God's mark. And then we wonder, why, why do I not like myself? <laughs> you know, why am I not happy? Why am I not enjoying life? Why do I not feel good about my life? Because sin brings death. <laughs> and when we have activity of sin going on in our lives, then we're not, we're not going to enjoy our life. And here's what I found as I was meditating on this. I found as I practiced this discipline of considering myself dead to sin, little by little, my heart's going to stop beating for the things of the world. I was talking with one of the girls here earlier tonight about that. That's that process of sanctification, and we'll be talking about that more in the coming weeks as the passage actually mentions that. But as my life is lived alive to God and Christ, I gain an image of my life that is full of righteousness and God focus. It's a life in Christ, not a life that's beating for, the, for sin. And I'm just trying to say, stop that. Don't do that. But literally, the, the heartbeat is snuffed out. It doesn't even beat anymore. Now, if someone is dead, they also can't feel anything. In other words, their nerve endings are dead. Feeling does not exist for them anymore. And so would, would we say we're dead to feelings towards sin? Or are our feelings still very alive towards sin? 
And as we think about this one, I think we really need to think about the inner man because nerve endings are all on the inside, right? They're all within, as far as I understand it. I don't know if you've ever been around somebody that's been in tremendous pain. And this always just fascinates me that if, if I'm around somebody that's really hurting, you know, and in some kind of pain, that their, their body is just racked with pain, and yet I don't feel any of it. I mean, other than the emotional feeling. But, I mean, the actual pain, I'm sitting right beside them, and they've got all this going on within their body, and, and I don't feel any of it. I'll never forget a couple years ago, I had a bunch of dental work done, and dental work and I just don't mesh well together. I, I have nightmare stories, I could tell you. But I was in so much pain, and I... I think I have a pretty high threshold of pain, but how do any of us really know that? Because you really can't compare your pain to anybody else's because you're the only one that feels it and they're the only one that feels theirs. But my husband was trying to be so sweet and, you know, dental pain just doesn't let up. It's just, just like a, you know, endeavor it comes in waves. It's just, a, just at a height all the time. And I was at the threshold. I was in so much pain, tears just rolling down my face. And my husband was sitting there beside me trying to comfort me, you know. And it just, it, this had been going on for hours and I didn't see any end in sight. And I got mad because I thought, how can I be sitting here at all this pain and you don't feel any of it? This isn't fair. You're right here beside me. Can't I give you just a little bit? Can't you take some of it? But, but you can't because nerves are all within. But see, I think it's important for us to understand that because when a person is dead, their body doesn't respond to sin opportunity at all. All the way in to the deepest nerves, there's no response. And sometimes what happens as believers, we deal with sin that people can see. We deal with stuff on the outside. But if you think about being dead to sin, it's got to work its way all the way inside into those deepest places. It's a calculating and a weighing out that goes way, way, way beyond the surface. If you're talking about being dead, now you might be in a coma, you know, but I'm talking about dead, dead to sin. It goes all the way within. So considering myself dead to sin is looking at my life, making a conscious choice to be unresponsive to it when it calls, when it has a tendency um, for, for, to get my heart beating, or when I would just like to revel in it in my inner man when I think nobody else can see it. But see, the Lord is making us look intently into our lives. And if I'm to consider myself dead to sin, no response, none at all. Now let's just get down to the nitty-gritty a little bit here. Over the last four weeks, I imagine as you've been going through the study, and I've been asking you to pack your self-suitcase, you know, if you've been putting some things in that self-suitcase, I bet you've got some sin packed in that suitcase, right? I do. I do. I certainly do. Now, if you're anything like me, you know it's one thing to say be unresponsive to sin. It's a whole other ballgame to actually be unresponsive to sin. In fact, Paul, in chapter 7 that's when, of Romans, that's when he says, why am I doing all this stuff I don't want to do? And then he goes on to say, wretched man that I am. Who's going to set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, that's a true picture of a godly self-image. <laughs> Knowing and understanding, I am a total mess without Christ. <laughs> total mess, but also understanding the glorious picture of who we are in him. You know, it's not just, oh, isn't this awful? It's how wonderful we are in him. His prescription for a wonderful self-image is to consider, to determine, to make a continual decision every day, every minute that I am dead to sin, but alive to God. 
even when sin calls, even when it tries to get my heart beating or my feelings rising, I'm to be dead to it, unresponsive. Now, sometimes to do that, you got to be really, really proactive, you know, especially in the beginning, I think. I mean, you might have to speak out loud and just say, I, I don't even know that you're there, you know, just, no, I don't even realize that you're talking to me, you know. Or you might have to command your, your flesh, you know, your mind or your will. Your, you might have to say, be quiet, stop, <laughs> you know. You might have to put some self-disciplines in your life, like getting up early in the morning or writing yourself a note on your Bible that says, you know, like you, you mentioned to us earlier. You might have to remind yourself over and over again that I'm dead to that. I don't respond. Let me give you an example of this, too. One of the definitions of sin that we mentioned in our lesson last week, lesson four, was a failing to grasp. You know what, so often as people, I think as women especially, we really fail to grasp who we are. We live with a mentality a lot of times of being a weakling. Maybe I'm unable in that area, or we have a low thought of ourselves. Do you know that's, that's a sin? Failing to grasp who you are in Christ? That's sin. Now, it may not be intentional on your part, you might have thought that way for so long, you don't know how to think any different. But it's still a sinful mindset because we are a daughter of the king. How could we think of ourselves as lowly or poor or unable? Your flesh is going to tell you you're too poor, that you're too ugly, you're too uninteresting or too run-of-the-mill to be used by God. It's easy to cry out and complain, well, I'm not as privileged as the, the next person or I'm not as talented or I don't look as good or whatever. I mean, I've been there. I'm sure that you've been there too. But when that stuff calls your name, you know, it's easy to start responding to that kind of thing, especially if you're kind of down that day, you know, especially if you've gained some pounds that week, you know, or something's happened or somebody said something. I mean, it's so easy to start responding to that. And before you know it, you you don't even have a hold on who you are in Christ at all. I mean, you can downward spiral really, really quick. And so you might have to get really proactive and and just say some things out loud. You might have to say, why am I thinking like that? I I don't even hear you. I don't even know know what that's even talking about. I don't even understand that because I'm alive in Christ. (laughs) And this is the day that he's made. And he's a purpose and a plan for me. And he created me for such a time as this. And he's given me a sound mind and a sound heart. And I have amazing privileges in in the fact that I am his daughter. And he's adopted me. And you just go on and you say that you're alive to him. And see, I hope what you're seeing is you cannot be just dead to sin. That will never work. That's why this verse says, consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. If you just try to be dead to sin, which a lot of Christians do, they say, well, I'm not allowed to do this. I'm not allowed to do this. I'm not allowed to do this. But they don't have any life going on in Christ. It's impossible. It's legalism. And it will snuff out the life for you. It has to go hand in hand with being alive to God in Christ. You've got to have, you are alive. <laughs> we are alive. We're not dead right now. Okay. We might be dead spiritually, but I don't think anybody is in here. I, I believe we're all believers. Okay, and so you've got a life. You've got to have a place to direct this life and direct this energy and direct these thoughts. So you've got to put it into life in Christ and then you can be dead to sin. They go hand in hand. So let's talk about this as well. Consider yourselves alive to God in Christ Jesus. And this is the fun part of this verse because we all want life. And the word for alive here is the word Z-A-O. And here's what it means. It means to enjoy real life in full vigor enjoying real life in full vigor and this is really key 
having the vital power that you need to live it. Okay? So you, you want to enjoy this life with full vigor and you actually have the power to do it. So when we look at our lives, we see ourselves as someone who doesn't even respond to, miss opportuni- to opportunities to miss the mark. Instead, we see ourselves as somebody who enjoys life that God has given us and somebody who really has power to live this amazing life that he's given us. And, and it's not even that you just, you know, you try to, to love it. I mean, you go after it with full vigor. So let's, let's, let's talk about this because it's way more than just being responsive. It's going after it big time and understanding that you've got the power to do that. What does it mean to be alive to God? Well, goodness, I mean, where do you start? We could talk for hours and hours and days and weeks and months and years. There's so much. And as I prayed about that, the Lord just really zeroed in for me on Romans 14, 17. And that's a passage that says the kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy. Actually, that passage they were debating over whether you could eat this or eat this if you're or drink this if you're you know if you're a believer. And and Paul just finally jumps in and he says this. He says the kingdom of heaven is not about eating and drinking. <laughs> okay, the kingdom of heaven is about righteousness, peace, and joy. And so I feel like the Lord would like for us to zero in on those things about being alive to righteousness, being alive to peace, being alive to joy, because they encompass so many things about him and they really are a definition of his kingdom. So let's think about being alive to righteousness. God loves righteousness. A simple way of defining righteousness is living, thinking, and feeling the way that God deems right. Do you consider yourself alive to righteousness, like going after righteousness with full vigor. Does that like excite you? Do do you get excited about that? Or are you going after that? Do you understand you actually have the power within you to live the way that God deems right, to think the way that God deems right, to feel the way that God deems right? How do you pursue righteousness? How are you alive to that? I believe the key word here is in Christ Jesus. And this week in our lessons, you'll look at that. Some more. You're going to get to do a little bit of research about that this week. On our own, you're never going to attain to righteousness. We know that. So we just need to hear it over and over again, don't we? I got a new CD this week, and there's a great song on that about it. You know, just, and, and it just refreshed me again. Just a new way of saying the same things that God says, just to remind us continually. We cannot attain to that. But we can consider ourselves righteous because of the position that Christ gives us. In him, we are righteous. And so one of the ways, even being alive to righteousness, knowing who I am in Christ, I can, you know, come into the throne room with God. When I walk into a room and there's worship going on, I mean, I am alive to that. I cannot just stand there with a sullen face. I have to, I have to participate. I mean, my arms go up in the air. My, my heart starts beating for Jesus because I love him. I mean, I'm alive to that. We pursue the mindset of him sharing his righteousness with us. Christ has made us righteous. And so we respond heartily and with vigor to the things that he loves. Things like purity, devotion, forgiveness, service, justice, honor, excellence, loveliness. Go on and on. We get a rise. I mean, I get a rise when I see these things happening in people's lives. When I see these things happening in my life. And we keep pursuing them. The Psalms are full of people who love righteousness. They, they want to see it in themselves. They want to see it around them. And the people in the world, they pray for it. They call out to God for righteousness. They're very alive to it. They're pursuing it. The Bible's very clear. The righteous person's going to have a happy heart. 
There's no low self-esteem for the person who's living in righteousness, who's alive to God in righteousness, understanding who they are in Christ and then living that way and going after that kind of life. I think about Cain in the book of Genesis. You know, Cain and Abel were brothers. Both gave God an offering. For whatever reason that it's not totally clear, people have theories, but God accepted, he accepted Abel's offering. He deemed it righteous, but he did not deem Cain's offering righteous. Now, you know what happened to Cain? He got this very low countenance. I see Cain with his head down, you know, just, you know, having this sullen expression. People today would say, oh, that boy's got low self-esteem, okay? Well, you know what God said to him? He said, Cain, why are you downcast? In other words, why are you feeling so bad about yourself, Cain? He's, and this is what he said. He said, if you do what is right, will not your countenance be lifted up? He said, but sin is crouching at the door and it's waiting to master you. You know what? Cain did not listen to what God said. He had a better plan. Here again, a story of who's going to be in charge, right? And he did his own thing. And that, that low self-esteem, that, that low image of himself and wanting to do things his own way led him down a pathway of sin to where he committed the first murder. He killed his brother. But God said to him, if you'll do what is right, will not your countenance be lifted up. The more we determine to be alive to righteousness, the more that righteousness will become a reality for us, producing a happy, contented heart. And these things go hand in hand because it's not just considering myself dead to sin. It's being alive to the things that God loves. And, and eventually he changes. Sometimes it's a, it's a discipline to, to really turn away from those things. But after a time, he sanctifies your mind and your heart and, and your, your actions, your will anyway. And you begin to see things like he sees them anyway. And you begin to love righteousness. And then you begin to see the unrighteousness that you used to participate in. And your heart doesn't even beat for that stuff anymore. You're like, how in the world was I ever there? How did I ever think like that? I want to watch that kind of stuff or want to laugh about that. Or you, you're just, your mind is opened up to it. And you, there's a happiness that comes from that living right with God. What else does God love? Peace. He loves peace. Do we consider ourselves to be alive to peace? Really alive to that, responding to that. I know for years I was not alive to the message of peace. I was responding to the call of sin on a daily basis. And so what happened was when I'd sense this need to pray to God or or to hear from God, I had this sense also that God was very mad at me and that I didn't measure up in his sight. And I had to learn over time to consider myself to be at peace with God because I am in Christ. In my life now, I tell you, I am continually pursuing. I'm very alive to the message of righteousness in my life and the message of peace. Righteousness and peace with God, okay, in my life. And also how I'm living it out and how I'm moving and and doing life with other people in those ways. I mean, what a blessing it is to know you're at peace with God. Being alive to that message every day. You know, seeking to have your heart think that way. What about being alive to sharing that peace with other people? You know, that that moves you and, and you, you want to share that. And if someone's hurting and, and you see their life is broken, you are alive to thinking they need Jesus. I got to share Jesus with them. You're alive to that. You go after that and you realize you have the power to do that. What about being alive to walking in peace with others? You know, if you've been standing in line in the grocery store and somebody's in an argument with a, you know, and do you feel this sense and a need to like make peace there? You know, you're alive to peace, alive to the things that God loves, going after those things with full vigor. And then joy, you know, joy. They say that half the world views the cup half empty. 
and half the world views the cup half full, I would be one of the half-empty people by nature, okay? But God created everybody for joy. I don't care what they say. He created us all for joy. On my own, I have a tendency to be that negative person, to see the trouble brewing. And, and it's been a real work of God in my life to, to learn how to just not respond, you know, to, to something and to just say, you know what? No, God has a different plan here. Sometimes, like Paul, I can even sense myself being negative. And even as I'm being negative, I can be in my mind going, why am I acting this way? Why am I doing this, you know? And in those moments, I need to heed this message and just consider myself unresponsive. And I'm excited about that, that newness of understanding that I really can do this because I am in Christ. You know, one of the sin areas that we talked about last week was the area of diminishing something that should have been rendered in full measure. That's sin. When we diminish something that should have been rendered in full measure, the Bible says that God wants his joy to be in us like unspeakable and full of glory. So it should be in every person in full measure. So if I diminish joy in me or I diminish it in other people, I diminish it in my home, it's sin. It's sin. I've got to start considering myself to being dead to that and being very alive to joy, to the joy. You know, always in Christ, the situation might look horrible, but in Christ, there's always something to celebrate. There's always hope. And see, I can be alive to that. But it's going to take some being proactive, especially retraining our minds because we are so prone to think differently. In Christ, we pursue a life with the power of joy and we consider ourselves dead to negativity and sorrow. You know, when you consider God and being alive to him, it could take a lifetime. I mean, really? When you think about all who God is, all, all that God is, what about being alive to his power? Just think about if you were alive to the power of God in your life every day, alive to the message that nothing is too difficult for him. What would it really look like if you were really alive to that or being alive to his love all throughout the day or alive to his nature, his hope, his holiness, his promises, his truth, his spirit, his promptings, his voice, his commandments, everything about God, alive to that, but dead, unresponsive, totally not responding to sin. That is the prescription, I believe, for a wonderful self-image in Christ. You know, in our world today, we talk about illegal drugs, right? We talk about illegal drugs. And we know, and I personally, over this last year in some of our ministry to the dark places, I've seen what illegal drugs can do in a life. Like I've never seen it before. I mean, they destroy lives. If we can think about it like this, focusing on self, okay, being responsive to sin, needs to be an illegal drug in our life because it's going to destroy us. The world would say, focus on yourself. That's what you need, honey. You just need to spend some more time on yourself, more money on yourself, all these different things. Do all of that. But that is illegal for us as a Christian because God has given us a legal prescription. And the legal prescription is this, that we would consider ourselves dead to focusing on self, dead to sin, dead to self-ruling us, but very alive to God and Christ. You think about this. Self-esteem is based on self. What you are, what you're not, what you look like, how you act, how people perceive you, how you want to be perceived by others. And that always, always, always leads you into sinful living. It doesn't even scratch the surface of what God has created you for. 
Because you think of just this little person who's so focused on themselves, and yet this mighty holy God wants to inhabit that person and bring the life that he created them for. That kind of self-focus always leaves you wanting more, always leaves you lacking, because self will never measure up. Never measure up enough. It will never be satisfied. Do you know why? Because self wants to be the highest one. And self will never be the highest one because Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. No matter how much you focus on self, you're never going to get to the height. Jesus is the highest. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the truth is, he invites us to join in his life. This whole passage is about being in him. He says, consider yourself a part of me. And he offers that to us. It's about who he is, who he made you to be, how he sees you, how he wants you to see others, how he calls you to act. Consider yourself alive to him. You know, if you try to be alive to God on your own, in yourself, you're not going to find life there. And I want to make this distinction as we bring everything to a close because the Lord just has really broken this open to me in the last couple of weeks, actually, from a conversation I had with one of the ladies in our study. But many times, even the lingo that we use in the body of Christ is not consistent with what God's Word says. Because you think about it, we might talk to somebody and say, you need to allow Christ into your life. Or we say, somebody stands up and they give a testimony about how they invited Christ into their life. Or now that I have God in my heart, okay? Now, where is the focus? Where's the focus? It's still on self, still on self. And I know that's just words, but really we need to grab a hold of these things and think about that. Because as I really study Romans 6, it calls us to something much deeper because all of those expressions are still about my heart, my life. I'm going to let Christ be a part of me as if I'm going to incorporate Christ into this person, you know? Like we're trying to apply Christ in a certain area in my life or something like that. But I don't need to incorporate Christ into my life. I need to immerse myself into his life. And there is a big, big difference. One that you have to meditate on and think about and, and say, God, what does that look like in my life? What does that look like for my life to be in your life, not for your life to be in my life? Because there is a big difference. And I believe then we can live as he designed it's his life that we get to join. What a privilege. For the death that he died, he died once for all. But the life that he lived, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus.